your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. I'm going to be very transparent with you. Okay? Something that I endeavor to do, it's not always easy to do. But um, it's hard to explain. But sometimes the Lord leads in a certain way. And um, I mean, I'll just come out and tell you. <laughs> in the middle of the last message, the Lord was dealing with me. I didn't know it until that moment. It was, I'm telling you, it's happening in real time. Real time. And the Lord used my own preaching to get to my heart. And there were some things that I needed to deal with that I hadn't been fully aware of up until that moment. And... <clears throat> The Lord just was like shining a spotlight. That's you. But then number two, when you do admit it, then you kind of have this feeling of hopelessness, like, how can I possibly do this? But then the Lord gave the answer in real time, too, by His grace. Because I can't generate that. I can't possibly do that. Nor does my flesh want to do it. But it's impossible for me to. So how am I supposed to do this? Well, you can only do it by the grace of God. And it's not easy to be very open and transparent, but I want you to know that the Lord works in me too. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to surrender to the Lord. Don't be afraid. Just do it when the Lord is speaking. And that's where victory is found. And you don't have to, you don't have to rely on your own ability or strength. You need to rely on the grace of God who can help you. Amen? Amen. That being said, <laughs> what I also find very almost disturbing <laughs> is the very next message that we're going to get to. And the Lord did all of this, but the Lord has done it for me. And if it's helpful to you, then praise the Lord. But you also have to know, I don't preach at you. Um, you preach a text, it's there. Whatever the Lord's going to do, He's going to do. I don't pick out subjects. Um, but the truth of the matter is the Lord uses it in my life too. Okay. So that being said, I want you to look at Romans 12 in verse 17, because what I said this morning also applies here. Romans 12 in verse 17, the Bible says, recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to talk to you this afternoon about doing right, even when you've been wronged. And like I said, what I said this morning applies in this message as well, and I'm just really transparent in this moment. Stuff I'm telling you is not here in my notes at all. I'm, I feel like I'm speaking on a subject that I really have no experience with in reality, um, to do right, even when you've been wronged. 
And I've had instances in my own life, of course, where people have done wrong things to me. Of course, we all have. But really, rarely have any of us ever been dealt with in such a traumatic way that it is completely life-altering. But some people suffer very traumatic wrongs. Sometimes there are kids who have abusive parents and they're physically abused, emotionally abused, verbally abused from the time they come into this world. Sometimes there are abusive marriages that are physical and abuse, but also emotional and verbal and constant, constant beating down to the point of affecting your health and your life. Some live daily under a barrage of attacks that include physical threats of harm, actual physical abuse, crimes, horrible, horrible crimes perpetrated against them. And I don't know your situation, but I dare say that at least the majority of us in this room haven't really walked through those kinds of of horrible things. And you may have, and I just don't know. I'm not excluding anything like that. But honestly, here in America, few of us have suffered anything close to what our brothers and sisters in other countries have suffered simply because of them existing where they are. There's a story back from 1999 it was January of 1999. There was a missionary named Graham Staines who had a family. He had two sons, Philip, who was 10, Timothy, who was six. While they were in ministry, they were mobbed by radical Hindus in India. They were trapped inside of their vehicle by this mob, and eventually they were burned to death. It, the story tells of how their bodies were recovered and they were found clinging together. And Graham Staines was a man who had spent 34 years in the country of India preaching Jesus Christ. He also was the director of a mission for for people with incurable disease like leprosy. The man had given his life to the ministry, and ultimately he gave his life for the ministry. He left behind a widow named Gladys and a daughter named Esther. Her response to the tragedy was in every newspaper in India, and it was to the glory of Jesus Christ. She said a few days after the martyrdom of her father, the Gladys said, the, the wife said, after the martyr, martyrdom of her husband and her sons, she said this, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Everyone thought that she would move back to Australia, where her home was, after the death of her husband. But she said, no, God's called us to India. And she said she would not leave. She said, my husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ till he comes. Then, maybe most remarkable of all, the daughter was asked about the situation and her reply when asked how she felt about the murder of her dad, the 13-year-old girl said this. She said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. That right there that kind of response to wrong or hurt 
being done. That kind of a response is the high biblical standard that we are actually called to as Christian people. I'm not going to tell you that, that I could respond the same way as those two ladies did. The only way to respond that way is by unusual grace of God. But we need to understand how God wants us to respond when we've been wronged, whether in a relatively minor way or in a major traumatic way. The Lord has something for us to learn. In our passage this afternoon, Paul teaches that the Christ-like response to being wronged is to actually do right towards those and leave any kind of vengeance toward to God. The text says, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, because that is true, Paul says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head, and be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us learn some truth from his word this afternoon, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us understand the Word of God. And Lord, you make application in, your, in the heart as it pleases you. I'm not the one who makes application uh, for specific hearts or people. And so, Lord, we trust you today that this is what you have for us. I trust that this is what you want for me. And so, Lord, I ask that you just use it in Jesus' name. Amen. If we look back a couple of verses in Romans 12 to verse... 14, we find this thread of selflessness. We find this thread of self-denial running through the text. In verse 14, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Our aim in the Christian life must be, as Paul writes in Philippians 1 and verse 20, our aim should be to exalt Jesus Christ in all that we do. Sometimes, according to the Apostle Paul, that means uh, our bodies, whether in life or in death, need to be for the exaltation and glory of the Lord. Sometimes that means to walk through a hard trial. And whether in life or in death, my aim and my goal should, should be that God gets glory out of my life. Our desire should be that even those who would wrong us, our desire should be that they would come to the place of understanding and knowing the very same mercy and grace of God that we have known ourselves. And so rather than responding to the evil done against us with evil itself or with vengeance, we're commanded to respond with the love of Jesus Christ that overcomes evil. And we overcome evil with good. The world says, in situations where we've been wrong, the world says, don't get mad, get even. But Jesus Christ says, Love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. Completely opposite worldview. And so I want to dissect these verses and teach through this passage, and I'll trust that the Lord will use it today according to His will. First, the first thing that I want us to look at is in verse 17, the first part of verse 17, and that is this. The wrong response to wrong 
is to pay it back with more wrong. Verse 17 says, recompense no man evil for evil. So the wrong response to wrong is to pay it back with more wrong. Paul says this three times, actually, just in slightly different ways in this passage. We see it there in verse 17. He says it again in verse 19, just a little bit different. He says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. In verse 21, he says, Be not overcome of evil. And we can be overcome of evil when we respond in the wrong way. Paul gives a similar command in 1 Thessalonians 5. Turn there, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want you to look at verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. So the instruction is, don't render evil for evil unto anybody. Instead, you should follow after what is good among yourselves and among all men. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3 and verse 9, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You see the call of the Lord for the Christian here? It certainly isn't rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but the opposite, blessing. That's what we're called to do, to bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. Returning evil for evil might not be as severe as getting revenge on somebody, but it's still something that is forbidden of the Lord. Now, what do you mean by that? Let me give you an example. Let's say a a husband snaps unkindly at his wife, and she responds by being cold to him or by not speaking to him. She isn't plotting revenge She isn't plotting his demise or his death, but she's not exactly blessing him either. This is returning evil for evil, or vice versa. We can make the application the other way around. Or if somebody makes a cutting remark and it hurts on the inside and we counter that with an equally cutting remark, now we're returning or rendering evil for evil. Does that make sense? Returning evil for evil isn't necessarily the same thing as getting revenge, but it still is forbidden of the Lord. Revenge is something that goes a step beyond returning evil, and revenge is something that is motivated by pride. Someone's sinful actions against us wounds our pride, and so we want to get even to restore our honor. Many cultures around the world are driven by honor codes. One family or one tribe offends another tribe, and so the offended party retaliates by inflicting revenge. That will momentarily put them on the top, but only until the other party says, now it's my turn to get revenge. And they devise a way to get even. And then sometimes that creates these feuds that actually historically go on for centuries and centuries. And what is the result of all of that? Needless bloodshed and death and hurt and warfare. That happens all over the world. So let me make an application here. The natural fleshly response is something like this. He hit me, I'm going to hit him harder. That's my fleshly response, trust me. You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. But that's not the biblical or Christ-like or godly response. There are three things here. Number one, vengeance never ever leads to peace. It only leads to more vengeance. 
And it disobeys the injunction of verse 18 that says, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Returning evil for evil or getting vengeance never leads to peace. It only leads to more. Vengeance usurps something that only belongs to God. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That is something that belongs solely to God. We are incompetent to carry out personal vengeance. Why? Because we cannot know all the motives. We cannot know all the circumstances that were behind a person's wrongful actions. We are finite in our understanding. Uh, and, and besides that, when, when hurts and wrongs happen, our emotions begin to get involved. And when our emotions are involved, it clouds our judgment. It clouds our thinking. And only God, who knows all things, is the only competent one to dole out righteous judgment. The third thing is this, that revenge succumbs to evil rather than conquering evil with good. That's what verse 21 says. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, as difficult as it is, and it is difficult, it's always wrong to respond to wrong with more wrong. Paying back evil for evil or taking revenge is always motivated by selfishness. And pride. It doesn't honor the Lord. It won't lead to peace. And it certainly won't lead to the conversion or the restoration of the one who has wronged us. So, according to verse 17, the first thing is the wrong response is to return wrong for wrong. Secondly, the right response is to do right toward your enemy. The second part of verse 17 says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 18 says, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 20 says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. The last part of verse 21 says, overcome evil with good. The right response is to do right toward your enemy. Now let's go back to verse 17, because in order to do right toward your enemy, it requires some forethought. Verse 17 says, recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now what does that mean? to provide things honest in the sight of all men. That word provide, it means to consider in advance. It means to look out beforehand, okay? So it's having some forethought. It's to consider in advance. It's to look out beforehand. The phrase things honest literally means that which is good and that which is valuable. So it means this. Take some thought in advance for what is visibly good and what is visibly valuable in the sight of all men or in the eyes of others. In other words, what Paul is saying is this is a matter of testimony here. Watch your testimony. Paul's not saying to shape your behavior based on public opinion. So when he says in the sight of all men, he's not talking about shaping your behavior based on public opinion. That is obviously contrary to the Word of God. But what he is saying is to be mindful of your responses so as to be a good testimony to a watching world. That's what he's saying. What others will think of Christ is the primary concern here. What others will think of Christ from observing our responses when we've been wrong or when wrong has been done to us is the primary reason here. Reacting fleshly is not a good reflection on Jesus Christ. That makes good sense, doesn't it? 
Provide things honest in the, all, in the sight of all men. Watch out for your testimony. Watch out for the reputation of Jesus Christ. How you respond when someone has wronged you is something that is observable by others. How does it reflect Jesus Christ? Let me make an application. You know what? Never mind. Let's move on. The second point, or second thought here under the right response, doing right towards your enemy is this. Doing right may not result in peace, but it should be our goal. It should be our aim. He says in verse, seven, verse 17, don't recompense evil for evil. He says, watch out for your response because your testimony is in play here. And then he says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, doing right, it may not result in peace, but it should be our goal. It should be our aim. Listen, listen. Sometimes in spite of all that we do, the other party just will not make peace. Paul says, if it's possible, as much as lieth within you. In other words, from your side, on your part of things, whatever you can control, live in peace with all men. In other words, don't add strife to the situation with obnoxious behavior. It really, listen, it does, it does take two opposing sides to create friction. It always takes two opposing forces to create friction. So don't add strife by obnoxious behavior. We may not control what others do. We may not control what others think. We may not control what others say. But we sure can control how we respond and what we do and what our heart is. We can And the application is this. The injunction is, do whatever is possible, even bend over backwards if necessary, to live in peace. Listen, sometimes sometimes no matter what you do, they're not going to make peace, but every effort is made. Hey, friend, you know what? I don't know exactly what I did, but I am sorry for whatever I did. I don't want there to be problems. I don't want there to be friction between us. Just help me. And they won't do it. But from my side, as much as possible, my goal is to make peace. That's the right response. I remember a few years ago. Yeah, it was probably about three years ago now. It might have been a Saturday or something like that. It's a knock on my door, the front door. And there's a guy... He's kind of gruff looking, pretty disheveled, all the above. I'm like, who is this? And I come to the door, and he's just like all over me. And the reason he was on me was because he thought that my dog was over in his yard completely destroying the trash. And trash is, he's done it every day, and the trash is everywhere, and this and all that and whatever. Well, I knew for a fact that it wasn't true. I knew for a fact that it wasn't my dog every day. It might have been once, um, but, but we didn't count that one. But that one I don't know for a fact. But I know that what he's saying is not true. And he's just all over me. And immediately, immediately, my fleshly response is, want, is wanting to just like, dude, Get lost, okay? You're, 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 you're on crack. You're probably over there smoking weed. Because that's probably actually true. That was my fleshly response. I didn't do that. I listened to what he said. And you know what? The next thing that came to my mind is, this is a testimony here. I better be careful how I respond to him. And so what I did, instead of telling him that he was crazy, what I did was like, you know what? I'm absolutely sorry if that is true. Um, it shouldn't happen. And 
um, I will come right over to your yard and we'll clean it up. And I got my girls and we went over across the way into the yard. And when I got over there, man, it was a disaster. And it was like there was a lot more than just trash, you know, that had been strewn around. It was out into the woods. It was in the driveway. I mean, it was everywhere. And it certainly wasn't because of my dog. But you know what we did? We took the time. I don't, I don't even want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Everybody just put your fingers in your ear whenever Jackie talks. We cleaned it up. We walked through the woods and we cleaned it up. And why? Because it was a testimony issue. It was a testimony issue, and the injunction is to do whatever is possible, as much as you can control, to live in peace with all men. That's something that we need God's help with. Because here's the reality, friends. It doesn't, it's not isolated to instances out there. A lot of times it happens right inside of here. And it's not okay to have feuds with other people. It's not okay to have feuds in the church with family. It's not okay to have feuds in the church with your brothers and your sisters. Why? Why is that not okay? Well, first of all, because God commands it. That's why. Look with me in Romans 14, just a chapter or two over. Romans 14 in verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. The word follow after here is talking about this continual pursuit. It's like hunting. I'm hunting after. I'm pursuing after the things that make for peace, and the also that I'm pursuing after things that will edify one another. It's a command of the Lord. Look in Galatians. Well, you know Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Amen? What is the opposite of that? Well, you read earlier in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. And when you go over it, let's just look at it. Galatians 5. You'll see the opposite of peace. Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. He's talking about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Which one is going to have control? Verse 18 says, But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, here's what happens when the flesh is in control. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those are the physical things. But now notice this. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. That's hostility and opposition to your brethren. Variance, that means quarreling. Emulations, wrath, strife. That means factions. It means contention. Seditions. Seditions means disunion and division. Heresies. Envyings. That means jealousy. That means spite. Drunkenness, revelings, and such the like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the result of the flesh being in control. Hatred. Variance, strife, wrath, seditions, factions, envyings. That's why it's not okay. It's a command of the Lord. The fruit of a spirit-controlled life is peace and love. We already read 1 Thessalonians 5.15. But just turn there again. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 15 See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity or love, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Here's the same word, follow after peace. Look at James chapter 3. James 3 and verse 17. The Bible says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, James says that wisdom that is from above is pure, and it's gentle, and it's easy to be entreated. It's full of peace. But now notice what he says a few verses before that. In verse 13, he says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. James says, when there's confusion and every evil work, and when there's envying and strife, and there's bitterness in the heart, he says, you're not part of the truth. That comes from your flesh. That is not from above. On the contrary, contrasting that, the wisdom that is from above is full of peace. The wisdom that is full above, from above is gentle, and it's easy to be entreated, and it's full of mercy. Now look at 1 Peter 3 and verse 11. 1 Peter 3.11 says, Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. It's like hunting after the thing that makes for peace. As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. And then the last reason is for the gospel's sake. Here's the reason why. It's commanded of God, but then also for the gospel's sake. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 14 tells us this. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. It definitely is a testimony issue. And for the gospel's sake. So, the wrong response to being wronged is to pay it back with wrong. The right response when you're wronged is to do right towards your enemy. He says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. In the sight of all men. What does that suggest to us? Well, it suggests that the Christian lives in a glass house. And we got to be aware of the scrutiny of others, we have to be aware of our testimony and the attitude that I'm going to live my own life, I'm going to do whatever I want, that is a sinful attitude for a believer. Because the Bible says in Romans 14 that we don't belong to ourselves. It is not your life, it is not my life. People are watching, and as much as possible, we should live peaceably with all men. Of course, we don't compromise. We don't have a peace at any price kind of a ideology or attitude, but we ought to have the spirit of peacemakers for the Lord's sake and for the gospel's sake. Amen? And finally, verses 19 to 21, back in our text, Romans 12. The last thing is, having responded to wrong with right we can leave the rest with God. Having responded right to wrong, we can leave the rest with God. Verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, because of that, if thine enemy hunger, 
feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul's command in verse 19, not to take vengeance, it relates to personal revenge. The word avenge here, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. That word means to vindicate or to retaliate. Then he says, give place to wrath. What that means is give room, yield, or put in its place. And then he says, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now look at Romans 13 and verse 4. The Bible says regarding uh, rulers, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And we can look in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Why don't you just turn over there? We'll take the time to do it. Deuteronomy chapter 32, and look at verse 35. Deuteronomy 32, 25, excuse me, 35 rather, I'm sorry. Make sure I'm in the right place. 32 and verse 35. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. God is speaking, and he says, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. And in the right time, it'll be done in the right way, according to God's justice. Now look at Psalm 94. Psalm 94, verse 1. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself, lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? The psalmist is crying out to God. He says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth. And so what I'm saying here is Paul's command, beloved, avenge not yourselves. Don't vindicate. Don't re retaliate. Give, give place to wrath. Don't, don't make room for that in your life. Why? Because God said vengeance belongs to him. And if it belongs to him, we can trust him. And therefore, we do not have to vindicate ourselves. We can let the Lord in his right time take care of it. We respond to wrong with right. We can leave everything else to God. The point that Paul is making here is that God is the final judge who will repay all that do not repent. So you can leave your case, whatever it is, you can leave your case in the hands of God, knowing that He will be righteous and He will be just in punishing those who have sinned against Him and even those who have sinned against you, because ultimately it's against God. God knows. So our aim should be to even bless our persecutors. Romans 12, 14, bless them that persecute you. Our aim should be to do right toward those who have even wronged us. Verse 17, render no man evil for evil. But if those, in all of the things that we can control, we've tried and they don't repent, we don't have to seek vengeance because God is going to do the right thing all the time in the right time. And so, what does Paul what is he getting at here? What he's getting at is, once you've done all that you can do, and you respond in the right way, then you can leave the rest with God. Now look at the last part of verse 20, and then we'll be done. He says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome... Well, that's verse 21, rather. The last part of verse 21, or 20 says, For in so doing... 
thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So Paul just says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't withhold. Treat him right. Do right. Because in doing that, you're going to heap coals of fire on his head. What does he mean when he says that? Well, Paul is actually citing Proverbs chapter 25, and I'll go there and read it to you. Proverbs chapter 25, in verse 21. The Bible says here, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. And so he's citing Proverbs 25 here about our good deeds towards our enemy, heaping coals of fire on their head. Now, when you look at what commentators say about this, most commentators say that the burning coals are burning pangs of shame. So like if you continue to do good toward the one who uh, has done you harm or evil towards you, they won't repent, they won't make it right, but you keep doing good to them, it brings these pangs of shame upon them. And it may bring that wrongdoer to repentance. That might be partially true. But when you study out coals of fire in the Old Testament, what you see in the Old Testament is that it pretty much always refers to God's judgment, coals of fire. And so, like for example, I'll show you Psalm 140. Psalm 140 and verse 7. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves, Selah. As for the head of those that compass me about, let the mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Lest an evil speaker be established in the earth, evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. And whenever you study that out, it pretty much always refers to God's judgment. And so what does Paul mean when he's saying that and when he references Proverbs? Well, I would suggest to you that the meaning of verse 20 would be that if you do good towards your enemy and he doesn't repent, you can rest assured that God will one day handle the matter as the righteous judge of all. In other words, you do what you can, and it may lead to repentance, but if it doesn't, rest assured that God is going to deal with it in His time. Our motive in doing right or doing good should not be to increase our enemy's judgment, but to prayerfully bring them to a place of repentance and restoration in their life. And we can... We can uh, um, Rest assured that even if it doesn't happen, God is going to deal with it. God is ultimately the righteous judge. The principle stated here is that the believer has totally and completely taken this situation and turned himself and it over to the Lord. That's the principle here. Because the fact is we're going to be wronged at times in our life. And there are times when it's not even going to ever be made right, at least between individuals. But on our part, we can know it is, and I can leave the rest with God. And no matter what happens, I take this situation, and I take myself, and I completely turn it over to the Lord. Because I can't generate love for them. God has to help me with that. I can't come to the place where it's even possible for me to do this. God's got to help me with that. I leave it all with the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, 
to present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. Holy, acceptable. It's your reasonable service. A sacrifice is completely at the mercy of the one who is doing the sacrificing, right? We're to present our body as that sacrifice. Lord, it's yours. And therefore, the Lord must take care of it. The Lord must help fight the battle. We need spiritual wisdom when it comes to dealing with, dealing with those who are enemies of the cross, certainly. But you know what? We really need spiritual wisdom when it comes to dealing with issues in our own life among ourselves. So that Christ is magnified. So that the Lord is exalted. And so as we close up here, the hard question that this passage leaves us with is this. Have I paid back evil for evil to anyone? Maybe this is my pattern with my spouse. They say an unkind word, I say one back. You with me? That's rendering evil for evil. Is this the way that I deal with my kids? I told them to do something, they didn't do it. I told you to do that. Is this the way that I deal with my brothers and my sisters? How are my relationships affected with extended family? Is this how I deal with difficult people usually? And what about the testimony of Christ? You know what? Old habits, they die hard, don't they? They don't go away very easily. But they should still die, even though it takes a lot of work. In light of the Word of God, Lord, help us to live out these truths. If this has been a part of your life, first of all, ask God for forgiveness and for His help. Then figure out a way to ask forgiveness of those that you have wronged. And even if they don't repent or want to make it right, think about ways that you can still bless them with kindness. That's how to do right, even when you've been wronged. That's the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to receive the truth of God to receive the scriptures with meekness, with humility. And I'm amazed at what you've done in my heart today and how you've even orchestrated all of these principles for us today. And Father, I praise you for it. I want to respond in the right way to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help me. And if it's been a challenge or a blessing or an encouragement or even a conviction to your people, Lord, I pray that they would respond as well with the right heart toward you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.